My friends, if you could get your Bibles back out to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. We're going to be working through verses 1 to 12 this morning. As we come to our last sermon in our series on King David. It's been a a good run. Really uh, exciting to continue to move through uh, his life uh, this morning. And specifically... We see David in his old age giving instructions to his son Solomon. And then we hear, of course, of David's death. That's 1 Kings 2, verses 1 to 12 as we move through. Just quick context in the previous chapter, uh, through a series of events, we heard of Solomon, who is son of David and Bathsheba, being anointed as king. And so with that, let us dive into 1 Kings chapter 2. Let's look, verse, let's look firstly at verses 1 to 4. That's our first chunk this morning. In verses 1 to 4, we hear of David's final speech before his death. And so David, like Jacob and Moses and Joshua and Samuel before him, David gives a final speech, which marks a transition from one era to another, right? As well as a transfer of authority as he's speaking to his son Solomon. And so David commands Solomon in verses 1 to 4 to be strong, to show himself to be a man, to keep the charge of the Lord God. David thus calls Solomon to faithfulness to God and so, and so experience blessing. In verse 4, David underscores the need for covenant faithfulness. We see with heart and soul. And this is an allusion to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which of course Jesus quotes when he's asked what the greatest commandment is. And so in verses 1 to 4, we may think, all right, great, this passage is starting out quite well as David's life comes to an end. And of course, my friends, we may apply this to our lives as believers that we too would be strong and brave walking in the Lord's ways, keeping his commandments, being faithful in heart and soul. These are, of course, powerful commands for us that our lives, my friends, would be marked by faithfulness, that we too would persevere until the time of our own deaths by trusting in the Lord God, that we would persevere until the end. And so let us persevere, church. Death will come, but in Christ we will not perish. We will enter eternal life. And so that's what we see in verses 1 to 4, this this exhortation to Solomon to trust the Lord, to continue in faithfulness, to walk in his ways. Now, if David stopped his fatherly advice at this point, That may have surely been better, but he moves on and we start to see some of his weakness and inconsistency, even in his dying day. Look at verses 5 to 6 now. In verses 5 to 6, we start to see that the end of David's life is marked by moral ambiguity and inconsistency and weakness. Even David... As good as he was as a king, he is not a perfect king. He's still human. 
And so here we start to see in the passage some of his sinful tendencies in the ways that he gives Solomon his final word. And so in the same breath, in verses 1 to 4, David speaks of living this life of faithfulness to the Lord, but he also tells Solomon to use whatever means necessary to eradicate opposition to his dynasty. Now, important to note, this may seem like a valid political move, but let's press into David's heart here, um, specifically. So David reminds Solomon of two incidents. We're going to see this in our passage from verse 5 onward. The first incident is recalling Joab's execution of Abner and Amasa. This is something that's recorded in 2 Samuel 3. The other incident is Shimei's cursing of David, which is recorded in 2 Samuel 16. That incident we will hear about in verses 8 and 9 in our passage this morning. So, those are the two incidents to keep in mind. We start to see David operating in a mode of hard-edged political pragmatism we'll start to see that it seems that David may have forgotten his posture of, Father, forgive them, that Christ-like posture of mercy. And so we see here David seeming to encourage Solomon to take vengeance into his own hands. Now, of course, there must be political decisions made by a king, but as we press into David's heart here, we start to see that this is just a little messy in the way that he conveys this information to Solomon. Now, one thing to note here in verses 5 to 6 with Joab, Joab does deserve judgment for his sin. Joab's execution of Abner and Amasa was unlawful. Joab is not innocent. But neither was Saul innocent when David showed him mercy. And neither is David himself innocent. David is a mixed bag here, even to his death. And so we start to see David's motivations are just a little bit out of whack. Again, possibly motivated by political expediency or a desire for vengeance. In the end, these actions do not seem to be actions of a godly king ultimately. One thing to note with this Joab account in verses 5 and 6 is that David could have dealt with Joab himself in his own life, but instead he waits for Solomon to clean up the mess. And so at least here we can see that David is inconsistent, right? There's some sort of weakness here. Of course, my friends, in Christ we know that we're not called to vengeance of any kind in our lives. Let us not speak or act with harshness toward our enemies, but let us love them and pray for them, remembering that God has spared our lives in Jesus. And so then, We must extend mercy to others. Let's look at verse 7 here. In verse 7, we see David's instructions concerning the sons of Barzillai. So the respect that Barzillai showed David back in 2 Samuel 19, this clearly had a significant impact on the king, who thus urges his son Solomon to continue to show Barzillai loyalty and hospitality. But as we start to see here, friends, the aging David's view of the world seems simple, right? He has friends 
and he has enemies, and his days of showing Christ-like mercy seem far behind him in some sense, specifically as we will see in verses 8 and 9. And so we see David's sinful nature on display in his weakness and inconsistency with the Joab accounts. But David, like all sinners saved by grace, he trusts in the Lord till the end. And we saw that in verses 1 to 4. He trusts in the Lord till the end, but yet he still is sinful until the end. Weak, inconsistent. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 now. This will really allow us to press into David's heart here. So as we saw back in verses 5 to 6 with Joab, here David encourages his son Solomon to take vengeance on Shimei. So Shimei, again, this is recalling the account back from 2 Samuel 16. Shimei cursed David in that account. But he ended up begging for pardon, and and David actually promised him that he would not kill him. So David promised that Shimei would not die by the hand of David. But here in verses 8 and 9 in our passage, David doesn't seem to remember this this promise or to care about it. He's not being true to his word in a sense. Especially this account with Shimei is troubling because David had accepted Shimei's repentance and promised him that he wouldn't die. Again, like Joab, Shimei does deserve judgment as well for his sin. But he repented to David. And so sure, David kept the letter of the promise, as he himself didn't didn't kill Shimei. But the spirit of the promise is violated, for David goes and asks Solomon to do it. So we start to see David's inconsistency here. Again, remember, neither Joab nor Shimei were innocent, but neither was David. Neither was David. God had not given David what he deserved, which was death for his sins. So we wonder why here, why is David not being merciful to his enemies in this sense? Especially with the Shimei account. But what I want you to see here, friends, is that David, David, who trusts in the Lord, is still sinful until the end. He's flawed. He's not a perfect king. And this is a picture we see of him on his deathbed. And so here we don't see see a picture of the merciful Christ in David. In some sense, we do see God's judgment here in David, but even that imperfectly and inconsistently dished out by David. So we don't see David here extending mercy to his enemies. We don't see David operating out of that posture of Father, forgive them, that we're called to as Christians. So we don't see a posture of Christ-like mercy in David This is the mercy that we hear about in Romans 5, which says, For if while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So where God had mercy on his enemies by sending Jesus, David here in our account does not show mercy on his deathbed here. Mercy that he has shown before 
right? So he's a mixed bag. He's sinful until the end. But he still trusts in the Lord, as we see in verses 1 to 4. And so we see David encouraging Solomon by his wisdom to give Joab and to give Shimei a a taste of their own medicine, right? An, An eye for an eye. Well, thanks be to God for Jesus then and his merciful love that we are called to express in the new covenant. That love for our enemies. Again, although for David this may have been a political move to protect Solomon and Joab and neither Shimei were innocent, this is not what Christ calls us to now as believers, right? We're called to love our enemies, not to take vengeance into our own hands. And so we see in David here a sinner that's saved by grace, who trusts in the Lord until the end and yet is still a flawed, sinful man. A man who we've seen murder and commit adultery, who is idle and unstable and disobedient at times. Not a perfect king. So where David says in verses 8 and 9, do not hold him guiltless, Christ says, Father, forgive them. Where David imperfectly judges and condemns, Jesus perfectly judges and mercifully saves. Where David says, do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace, Christ says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The Prince of Peace ushering in peace with God and man by his work on the cross. So we see Jesus then as the better David. Jesus as the better king. Where David failed, Christ triumphed in perfect obedience to God. And now ending with verses 10 to 12. And so David slept with his fathers. And through the resurrection, my friends, David reaches heaven because of what Christ has done for him. David trusted the Lord. He trusted in the promises of God. Of course, as we've seen, he was far from perfect. But thanks be to God because the perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to David's account through faith. Just like Abraham before him, and like every sinner saved by grace, before and after the cross, David believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Us as well, church. We too, like David, will still be sinful even on our deathbeds. And so then we trust in Christ alone for our salvation, believing in the promises of God fully revealed to us in the gospel, believing in Christ, gaining the forgiveness of all our sins, his righteousness covering our sins as he brings us through death into eternal life. And even so, let us strive to obey him here and now. So the kind of inconsistency and moral ambiguity that David showed, despite his greatness, Despite his triumphs, this shows us that we need a king that's more righteous than he, than David. 
David is not ultimately the kind of king that we needed, but Jesus is the kind of king that we need. And my friends, Jesus is the king that we have. So we praise the Lord. And so when David's days were fulfilled, he lay down with his fathers. And God raised up an offspring, the throne of his kingdom being established forever. Here at the end of verse 12, we see Solomon sit on the throne for a time. But do you see the picture here? God has raised up an offspring. It is Jesus who sits on the throne of all of eternity, David's greater son. Jesus, the offspring of David. Jesus, the king of the eternal kingdom. Jesus, who is the better David. Where David failed, Christ triumphed. And so Jesus, the better David, governing his people, not in violence, not in condemnation, Not by spilling the blood of others in war, but by spilling his own blood, bringing peace. Jesus ushers in a new way, a new kingdom. He's a new king. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So where David and the kings imperfectly dished out judgment and mercy, Jesus the King is perfect in his actions. Something greater than Solomon is here. So we say, come Lord Jesus. Let us long for his return as we head into this Advent season. Because we have a better King. And he shall reign forevermore. And in the last words of David as recorded in Psalm 72. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've shown us in this series on King David. Jesus, just like David, we too are sinners till the end. We're sinful till the end, Lord. We're imperfect, we're inconsistent, we're weak. We don't perfectly show mercy to others. Jesus, work on our hearts that this would change in us. And ultimately, Lord, as we see our weakness, and as we saw the weakness of David in his life and in this account, allow that to press us more into the Savior, that we are covered by the righteousness of Christ through faith. Be with us, Lord, as we head into this Advent season next week. Jesus, use us as vessels that each of us, Lord, would increase our devotion in this time and that we would would say, come, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this time. Be with us, lead us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.